Welcome to this episode of UMBC's Miked Up. My name is Denise Cardona from the Office of Professional Programs. We are joined by a recent graduate of our Learning and Performance Technology graduate program, Dweesha Mauer. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Dweesha. It's so nice to have you here on UMBC's Miked Up podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you are a recent graduate of the, the ISD program, now known as the Learning and Performance Technology Program. When did you graduate? I graduated in December of 2020. Nice. So right Congratulations. In, the midst, yes. right in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. So many things have changed since then. It's, it's amazing. How was it being in the program right when all of that kind of hit the, the surface, if you will? Um, it actually didn't change my experience within the program a whole lot because I was, you know, doing fully online. So that was really valuable for me because I had already completed my um, internships and my full scale analyses. So I was very lucky in that regard. Um, and I only had, I think in my final semester, I was only taking one class. So, cause I had started sort of on a, a jackrabbit path and taken a few extra, a couple of semesters. And so by the time my final semester rolled around, I was only taking one. So the most challenging part for me was balancing one semester, my just previous to my final semester, my second to last um, semester, I was taking summer courses and doing a full-time internship. <laughs> Oh, so that was a very busy semester. That was brave of you. I, I can attest to that because I'm in the program myself right now and it can be challenging balancing the work and life and school. Yes. The program is set up nicely for that. Of course, being online definitely helps with all of that, mm -hmm. with all the projects that we have. It's nice to work remotely with clients as well. I think the yes. world is groomed now to do that. So it's a it's a nice time to be in instructional design because <laughs> the world has opened up to it at this point. Uh, absolutely. And that was something that I very carefully considered before entering the program. My husband is an active duty Marine and he's been in the Marine Corps for uh, just coming up on 12 years. And we have been together since before the Marine Corps. So I knew that whatever master's program I entered, it absolutely had to facilitate remote work. And I spent a lot of time calling programs, speaking with um, directors of programs. <laughs> I spoke with uh, Dr. Greg Williams. He was my introduction to the program because I gave him a call. I was like, hey, I'm a UMBC undergrad. I went to UMBC for my undergrad and uh, I'm really interested in this program. And what can you tell me about it? Who can I talk to? And he actually guided me toward some graduates of the program to talk to them about how it kind of operates in the real world. So that was great. Yeah, that is, it's really nice to be able to hear that kind of hands-on real world experience and how people are actually applying it in the real world. That's what I, I would say UMBC is really so well known for is their applied programs under yes. the Division of Professional Studies. And it's what, what makes that a nice feature 
is that you are doing the work right there while you're in the program. It's not theoretical. Mm -hmm. It's not just all books. You are literally working with clients from your first class and you are getting a firsthand look at what it takes to be in this field of instructional design. And that was actually one of the things that really decided me on the program, because when I found out that um, from Dr. Williams, that this was a portfolio style program, that was every, I said that that's what I want because I knew that I wanted to be able to provide examples of my work and testimonials from clients when I started applying for full-time positions. And um, it has worked out really, really well. It was a a wonderful component of the program. Tell me a little bit more about that portfolio-based. I mean, I'm familiar with it because I've been here at UMBC for many, many years and I'm in the program. But for those who are listening, why is that such a critical factor? Why was that so critical to your making the decision to enter into this program versus others? What what is it about that? So with a portfolio-based program, while coursework is present and you write research papers, et cetera, you are also creating a body of work as an instructional designer. And that body of work speaks to not only the value of the program and the quality of the program, but your own abilities as an instructional designer. So as you are exiting the program, you have two to three years worth of applied work that you can present in a field where portfolios are often everything. Hey, what have you done? Oh, it's great. You went through a theoretical program, but how did you apply this theory? Where is your design activity? And so I found that to be incredibly valuable. Right. And I'm curious because I'm curious when you look back on your journey with the portfolio based, mm-hmm. when you when you were graduating and examining your portfolio, because it's part of the requirement, you have to do certain things to get it in order to be able to submit mm-hmm. that. When you looked at your earlier items, like that 602, which is a foundational course in this mm-hmm. program, what were your thoughts on like the beginning projects and where <laughs> and how you ended up, where you ended up, where you landed at the end of that? One of the biggest impacts I think I I noticed was a comfort level with language and the application of different theories. So I was looking at the way I designed um, within a a specific project. So one of my first projects, I I didn't realize what I was getting myself into (laughs) because I decided to design a day-long eight-hour in-person course And uh, that ended up being about 125 pages, I think. Oh, (laughs) and that was the first, it was in my first semester. (laughs) (laughs) And so as I went on, I started learning that these theoretical um, components and the understanding of how artifacts of learning work, what do outcomes look like? Um, what does an objective look like? What separates an you know, enabling objective from a terminal objective, et cetera? That became much more apparent that I, as I was looking at it, that I understood it better because my projects got a little smaller, but the pieces of the project were more precise and it was clear that I knew what I was doing. So that was kind of a funny, not that I didn't do well on that first project, but, but it but gave it was, you, it gave you that foundation to realize, I, wow, what, there's a lot to this. There's a yes, lot to instructional yeah, design. A great deal. And I think um, it really also helped me focus my, as, as I went through the program, I realized how much I loved adult learning. 
And I, I will be the first to admit that I'm not an early childhood educator. <laughs> and I'll admit that too. Yeah, I was excited to see how adult learning was described, the differences in um, how the adult brain might operate in a learning environment. And in particular, I loved the intersection of the different systems. I love systems thinking. And so to see the intersection of you know, an adult learner's experience impacting their willingness to learn, impacting how they might accept new information, I loved that. And so that's my, I definitely tell people, yeah, I specialize in adult learning. That's what I'm most interested in. That's really, that's, that's really great to hear. Before you entered into this program, what was your experience? What did you do professionally? Was it related? Uh, I actually worked for the health and safety training program for the American Red Cross. Ah. And I was with the American Red Cross for seven years and I was their manager of the, the um, national capital area health and safety training. And um, so I didn't do direct curriculum development, but I did a lot of assessment of um, meeting standards and ensuring that our instructors were teaching to the Red Cross standard. Um, So a lot of not, you know, direct analysis like JTA job task analysis or anything like that, but just ensuring that all of we're ticking all of our boxes, we were hitting all the outcomes, et cetera. So that was actually pretty useful. Now, as you were learning in the program, did anything surprise you from because you you had sort of a foundation with the Red Cross position? Did anything surprise you with your learning that you thought, wow, I, if I would have known this, God, that would have been really helpful? Um, one of the things, so I did a, a project on uh, gamification. And so that was really interesting because there was like little components of gamification, of course, in various in-person courses. But the discussion around gamification and how it has impacted learning over the last like 10 years and what the expectations are for the future, because uh, because of my military connections, I did a lot of projects about the military community, both the spouse community and the active duty community. And in the military community, gamification is everything. Wargaming is essential to the development of active duty service members who are in the combat arms. And so, for instance, right now, the um, United States Marine Corps is undergoing very large changes to their structure, how they approach things. And one of the essential components of that is wargaming these ideas. Hey, we need to figure out how this new platoon structure works. We need to figure out how um, this new usage of, you know, ground to air weaponry works. They wargame everything. And so gamification was not a new concept to me, but it absolutely solidified the, the paper that I did. It solidified its importance in applied learning. So when you're out there doing things and, and you know, when people think of gamification, they think of, oh, we get a badge or we got, you know, this or that, which is great and useful. I mean, I have that on my Garmin. It's useful. Right. But, absolutely. But applying it in the sense of like simulations and we have this idea and how is this idea going to actually operate in the real world? We need to find that out. And so um, that was really interesting to me. I have you gotten into any VR training at this point? No, not yet. Or augmented learning. I I haven't either, but I, I interviewed somebody recently about virtual reality training and it's really 
Amazing. It's kind of, it's tied in with gamification as well, because you've got to go through these scenarios mm-hmm. as the learner with these, v, with the VR uh, lenses on, and mm-hmm. you have to be able to hit certain marks and pass certain marks. So it's like assessment wrapped up in learning. It's really cool. And I do think that, well, that is the future of learning for many of these applied fields where Absolutely. lives are at stake and you mm-hmm. need to be able to, as a learner, you need to be able to apply yourself in these situations under that pressure, that simulated pressure. And what a yep. great way to do that with, with gamification, simulation, VR, augmented mm-hmm. learning, all of that. Absolutely. And it's, you know, one of the things I've spoken with uh, about with my husband specifically is the um, ph- a physiological response when you're doing wargaming or VR, because I did I did some research on VR when I was writing this project. Um, and so one of the valuable things about it is the physiological response, is the stress response, because what you're teaching oftentimes, especially in combat arms or where lives are at stake, you know, policing or firefighting, Um, or paramedics, how to think through the parasympathetic response to stress. And that, it's very difficult in kind of modern day society to experience the parasympathetic response Mm -hmm. and then be able to work through it. Our lives often, you know, for a large majority of us, we are not experiencing those high stress environments on a regular basis. So we've not learned how to come down from sort of the red zone and think again and move on from the instinctual response. So I did a lot of combat training (laughs) and um, I have specifically trained to work my way through those kind of parasympathetic instinctual responses, what they call like the 80% auditory exclusion, tunnel vision. And so these VR and augmented learning experiences you're discussing really support our um, individuals who are in those professions, learning how to better work through um, that kind of level of stress. What an important job that is really, when you come right down to it, as instructional designers, instructional engineers, the, the job that like being able to break tasks down, first of mm-hmm. all, into manageable, digestible steps for learners to be able to apply this knowledge, but also taking into account the physiological effects of stress on the body. And that is all part of an instructional designer's job is to consider that when you're designing these, when you're designing curriculum to be -hmm. able to incorporate those situations, those application feedback situations where they are really feeling those effects so that they can practice those in a safe environment so that when they do enter the real world, it's, it's not, it's, they can do that. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, really, when you come right down to it, the job of an instructional designer can be life-changing for, it it is life-changing for so many people for the, for the, for the end users. It really is an important job. Well, and it's, it's interesting how much it comes up in my husband's work as an active duty Marine, because they take so many courses. Marines are constantly learning and um, it is actually something that is inculcated in the Marine Corps culture, they have something called hip pocket classes. Yes. And um, those hip pocket classes are a wonderful component of 
informal learning. It is how learning is passed from, you know, the slightly more um, higher ranked individuals to the slightly lower. It begins very early in the lives of junior Marines. They are passing on information, both institutional information and learning and individual. So it's a very, um, it's a very education focused organization. So what's, yeah. so what's interesting is my husband is very critical of course <laughs> Well, that's great because you have that pilot test. Absolutely. Right and he, um, we've had some very interesting conversations about how important the subject matter expert, the accomplished performer, and the instructional designer are as a team, rather than isolating the instructional designer over here, having the SME over here, and then having the AP and like maybe talking to them at one point or another, and then maybe talking to this me and then trying to apply this in the instructional area, you know, the instructional design area. Um, so that was actually going on. He was in a course that was literally in the middle of being designed <laughs> and they were like changing things as the course went on um, when I was in the program. And so I had an opportunity to sit down with both an instructional designer and one of the instructors for the course and talk about instructional design and applied instructional design. Um, and that was one of the things that cemented for me how important teamwork is in the design of courses and applying what we learn. Um, because in order to effectively design a course, we have to be able to think analytically. We have to understand systems and we have to be able to take in information from our subject matter experts and be willing to accept certain things. And that ego, has to, ego, ego has to be laid down to the side as instructional designers. It can't be part of the equation. Nope. And, you know, it's interesting because I've heard that most, a large percentage of instructional designers are introverts. And, you know, a lot of people don't, a lot of people misunderstand what introversion really is, but it's, you know, when it, it's, it takes a lot of the energy, it, mm -hmm. you know, you, you drain a lot of energy when you're speaking with people and such, it doesn't mean that you're not able to speak with people or that you're, right. you're shy, but it's such a critical component of the job to be able to speak with people, to be able to communicate with people, to be able to if you are introverted to be able to ramp up that energy level that you're going to need to get through these meetings and, and be able to extrapolate that really important information from these SMEs and from, from the team itself, because that right yes. there, like you said, it's the crux of a successful, of a successful curriculum to be developed is through that teamwork and letting the egos fall to the wayside. It's really hard to do for a lot of people, but it's really critical. It is. And those qualitative interviews, that was actually one of my favorite parts of one of the projects that I did. So my husband was actually attending the Citadel down in South Carolina, military university down in South Carolina. And I had the opportunity to have the Citadel's um, Veterans Success Center as my client for one of my projects. Nice. And um, I remember going in and doing these qualitative interviews with veterans, with people who were working there at the college. And um, I was actually doing, you know, doing an analysis to determine whether or not what they were using for communications with veterans was working. 
It wasn't at that time. <laughs> there, was, there were some gaps. There were some performance gaps, um, but that's okay. They, you know, the, the woman I was working with was wonderful. We got a lot of things done um, and I was able to help out the school, which was great. Um, but those qualitative interviews, I learned so much having those discussions and listening, learning how to listen is so critical, especially when you are a SME yourself. Yes. <laughs> and learning how to take in that information and go, okay, what is sort of blocking me? What do I already think? What new information is here that I can apply? Um, so yes, I could not agree more. That's, it was, it was really, really useful. And, um, again, like you said, the ego has to be laid aside. It just, it just, it just does. (laughs) Could you talk about what you're doing currently? Sure. Um, I am working in support of the United States Coast Guard, their training, their training program. Um, I have actually, I started out as an ISD with the contractor I work for, and I am now a training performance analyst. Nice. And I found that I enjoyed the analysis portion of Addy more than anything else, even though I liked all of it. Um, I tend to be very nitpicky. I like finding all the little holes. <laughs> Putting that Sherlock Holmes hat on. And I do. And learning, you know, and learning to work with data and understanding how the statistics work when we're looking at um, responses to surveys and <clears throat> why that's important and how. And so I was lucky enough to have a um, supervisor who saw my interest and was willing to support it. And so I'm definitely on a little bit of a vertical learning curve right now with certain things, but um, I am also lucky enough to have a trainer who is just amazing. She has her uh, doctorate in um, educational technology and she's phenomenal. And I think she could out-research everybody I've ever met. (laughs) So um, I'm really lucky to have a mentor like her. She's, she's really fantastic. How did the program prepare you for this role? Can you, are you drawing upon a lot of the stuff that you learned in the program? Oh yes. Oh yes. I can't tell you how many times I've taken out um, ISD from the ground up. I think it is. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the Bible. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm like, oh gosh, what am I missing? Um, and I really, I've gone back and looked at my projects and just to kind of remember certain things um, and be like, okay, what order kind of, what's my order of operations? How do I, you know, look at this more clearly? Um, I found pretty much everything from the program so far anyway, quite valuable. Um for this role. And, and when I came in as an ISD, same thing, like I was like, Oh, I know this is my language. <laughs> I got all this. <laughs> I got this. I understand this. It's yeah, interesting and- because with the, you know, the portfolio based, even myself too, when I do instructional design jobs right now, I find that I go back to the projects that I've done and I follow that as my order of process because I, it was successful when I was, that was something that my brain clicked, it clicked in my brain, this process, this system, it's not an art form. It is a systematic scientific approach to creating curriculum. And as long yes. as you've got that system in place and you follow it, it, it creates that scaffolding Yep. It it can't go wrong. It's certainly hard for it to go wrong. (laughs) But I found also that uh, 
accepting. So I tend to be a little bit, I don't want to say arty because that's not the right word. I tend to be a little loose. Um, I'm willing to be like, oh, you know, I'll try this or I'll try that. This has really encouraged me, we'll say, to be systematic. And to, and I found that that works very well. For well, this. I think that, that that's an important point, because yeah. when you have that system in place, it allows you that freedom to be creative. Mm-hmm. Because now you have your you have your points. So, you know, it's like a roadmap. You have point A to point, you know. You're all the way to point Z. And then you're allowed, you know, knowing that, knowing where your roadmap is, you've got those stopping points, which is the ISD process, say, but it allows you that opportunity to say, I want to go see this site. Oh, wait, I want to go down here and see this site. But you always have that, those points of reference that you can refer back to, to keep you on track in the system. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I, uh, I don't have really anything negative to say. <laughs> It's really hard to find something negative to say about. Yeah, I understand. I, I get it. I'm the same way. I mean, yeah. what was your what would you say to somebody listening who maybe is on the fence, not sure if instructional design is the right field for them? What would you say to somebody like that? Interview instructional designers. That is 100 <laughs> percent. I because it's not an immediately clear what we do. It can be a little confusing and people are like, you do what exactly? Oh, you do curriculum analysis. Well, yes, but, (laughs) you know, and so, um, and I, I encourage anyone doing any kind of career exploration to talk to people in the field. You can't learn about the field if you don't talk to people because you can read all you want. You can have some sort of understanding based on, oh, well, this looks interesting. And how did, how, But until you talk to someone in the field who has been in the field for a while, and I always encourage my peers and friends who are doing um, career research, talk to someone who's junior in the field, someone mid-level and someone senior. That way you have an understanding of career progression. You understand um, how things develop, what things look like at each, you know, if you're senior in the field, are you just sitting in front of a computer? If you're sitting in front of a computer, what exactly are you doing? Right. You prefer to be outside. If you want to be outside, ISD is probably not for you. <laughs> right. If you, want, if you want your actual work to be outside. <laughs> but, um, right. Unless you're uh, facilitating something that happens right, outside. Exactly. But if you're designing, you're probably going to be in front of the computer. So um, that would be my most important piece of advice is to always talk to someone. Um, and if you're interested in a particular program, talk to someone who's graduated that program. You heard it, folks. You heard the great advice. That is really great advice. Great insight. I couldn't agree more with you. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. This has really been a fun conversation. I love talking ISD. And I I just really enjoyed this conversation to learn what you are doing to apply it in the real world. And it's really exciting. And I wish you continued success in everything you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Denise, and thank you for reaching out to me. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for taking time to listen to this episode of UMBC's Miked Up Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about UMBC's graduate programs in learning and performance technology, please visit us at lapt.umbc.edu.